guys. Um, thanks for coming out today. The Journal Club means a lot. Um, great to see uh, a lot of you guys come out today. Um, today, Kayla Myers from American Studies is presenting straight out of Congress. <laughs> Ted Cruz's posters and post-racial politics. Um, fun fact about Kayla, she's obsessed with pugs and even owns one. Without further ado, Kayla. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everyone. All right. So I want to take us all back a little bit before today to a simpler time. Before President Trump said that Frederick Douglass is an example of somebody who's done an amazing job and is getting recognized more and more. To before grab him by the pussy was a debatable phrase on CNN. And before, even before, basket of deplorables was something that we had to parse out. I want you guys to imagine 2015. So a much simpler time. We were much younger then. Have you seen the weird posters Ted Cruz sells on his website? A December 2015 GQ article asks, at this period in time, most people hadn't been talking about Ted Cruz's merchandise. These weird posters in question were part of Ted Cruz's merchandise for about two months at this point, coming up on his website in September of 2015. The first poster, blacklisted and loving it, shows Cruz's face photoshopped onto a shirtless and muscular torso, tattooed in traditional Americana, <laughs> with a cigarette dangling between his lips, under the headline, Washington, D.C., blacklisted and loving it all-American tour. The poster was a creation of Sabo, a conservative street artist, which exists, um, <laughs> who, <had laughs> who had first gained notoriety when he plastered the poster all across Los Angeles in 2014. Once the campaign had started, supporters quickly started bringing these posters to campaign rallies, and the Cruz campaign must have seen a opportunity for collaboration and started a partnership with Sabo to create more campaign regalia which ultimately led to the second one, Straight Out of Congress, which is parental advisory label inset with Straight Out of Congress, with Ted Cruz walking forward, his eyes set, um, under Ted Cruz, a conservative with attitude. What makes these posters so uncomfortable to look at? Well, I don't know about you. <laughs> but when I think presidential, I don't think Teddy Boy covered in gnarly tats smoking a cig. The GQ article, Jess. It's difficult to deny that these posters lack the decorum one might accept expect from a presidential nominee. And just remember, we're in 2015 right now. But the viewer's discomfort could also be attributed to the poster's racial implications. Even though there is no black body present in either poster, both are coded as black. The poster straight out of Congress literally mimics the poster for the biopic for NWA, um, an all-black rap group, while also twisting the name of the group into the slogan, Ted Cruz, a conservative with attitude. Their breakout song, Straight Out of Compton, for which their movie is named, confronts police violence on black communities. Blacklisted and loving it is a little bit more ambiguous, but I would argue that it does conjure blackness in how it conjures an image of incarceration. Cruz's hands are cupped in front of his navel, held closely like someone might have their hands if they were cuffed. And the white, possibly cement brick backdrop is reminiscent of a prison cell. In the current conversation on mass incarceration, the justice system, and police profiling, um, it would be difficult not to see this image as carrying some racial subtext. Before I continue talking about what that racial coding might mean in these posters, I do want to point out that the intention behind these posters is not to attract minority voters. And I say this because of Sabo's Twitter feed. So Sabo, the conservative street artist, under his handle Unsavory Agents, has posted or has a history of polemical tweets that are mostly racial, 
before the Cruz campaign started selling his regalia, he started calling for President Barack Obama's assassination, tweeting, imagine if every Secret Service agent just up and left their jobs tomorrow. That would be brave. Taking a bullet for a turd is just stupid. Soon after the partnership started, he tweeted, 12 less Mexican to sneak across our border in response to Egyptian military forces accidentally killing Mexican tourists. And I do want to just bring up a couple of other um, tweets that he's fired off recently that weren't or weren't during, for the most part, the or the election, um, but he's posted recently. So you can guys can kind of get a sense of the sort of things that come up on his Twitter feed. So this history of tweets provides a consistent record of generally bigoted sentiment, which you can also see on his website, which he has a um, entire section labeled N-word. And so I argue that this is an implies a lack of intent to appeal to minorities. In fact, he w Cruz's campaign was notified about these tweets in September 2015 when they first, or when Sabo's gear section first came up on the Cruz website, but the campaign declined to comment. Eventually, Cruz did cut ties with Sabo, pulling the designs, but only after the Young Turks aired a segment highlighting Sabo's racially insensitive tweets. But this wasn't until February 2016, so for five months, this collaboration continued. Cruz had known about Sabo's record and chose to ignore it. Gawker wrote, in Sabo's defense, people should have figured this out a long time ago. In Cruz's defense, this picture is probably the coolest thing about him. It was probably the fact that it was the coolest thing about him that kept the partnership going for so long. Instead of trying to appeal to minority voters, this campaign was meant to appeal to millennials. C.J. Pearson, a 13-year-old conservative activist and leader of Ched Cruz's coalition to attract youth voters who cannot vote, um, himself claimed that these posters were part of such an effort. He wrote, moving towards posters like these resonates with millennials and we will do whatever it takes to gain their much valued support. However, these posters didn't seem to sway the youth vote. In a poll taken in December 2015, so when the GQ article first came out, Ted Cruz was only pulling 13% of Republican primary voters between 18 and 35 at a point in the campaign where his popularity was climbing. Um, I also do want to just mention as an aside, during this period, when they were trying to pull millennial voters, um, the Ted Cruz Zodiac Killer meme had started to peak in December 2015 um, and hit its peak, according to Know Your Meme, in around March of 2016. So millennial voters were busy. Anyways, they maintained their relationship. Okay, so going back to the posters. So why would a white conservative evangelical politician used these posters to appeal to a primarily white working class base and propagate his political message. By observing these campaign posters, I argue, as an iteration of blackface minstrelsy, the encoded meanings of the posters and their link to white, white working class voters becomes clear. Just as background for blackface minstrelsy, it's not a historical secret that minstrelsy stereotyped black people and used caricature to suppress black insurrection. Blackface minstrelsy was a vernacular form of theatrical performance where black or non-black performers painted their faces with cork, blackening them up to resemble African Americans. These performances were held in both formal spaces like the theater and informal spaces like street corners, making it accessible to working class viewers. Throughout the performance, a ringleader would interact with the performers and poke fun at black life and people, helping to naturalize the institution of slavery and segregation. Performers also portrayed archetypal characters like the happy-go-lucky darky and the dandy. This entertainment lasted throughout the 19th century and into the 20th century, but peaked from 1850 to 1870 in popularity, so right before the Civil War and fading after the Civil War. But minstrelsy, minstrelsy was not simply a means of lampoon, lampooning excuse me, black people, though that's absolutely what it did. The minstrel show 
carried a multitude of meanings that were often contradictory. In performing blackness, performers gave young, white audiences access to cultural markers of blackness. And as L.T. Lamone, a, a racial historian, claims, no matter how recent the resultant crude stereotypes, one must neither miss or forget the less obvious uses of the proletariat youth that were even then making the material. They were flaunting their affection for these signs of akimbo insurrection against the conventions of control. Thus, white working class used the affect associated with the black body to gain an ideological position or cultural authority that aided in their own class construction and resistance to bourgeois oppression. The minstrel show itself was a site where this white identity was constructed and reified. It was distinctly white working class form of entertainment that attracted a heterogeneous audience, often being performed in the public space or accessible to the lower classes. But it, it was not just accessible to white working class viewers, it also articulated this white working class ideology. A white uh, working class historian, David Rodiger, asserts, to say minstrel music was mechanics music is to argue that the content of blackface performance identifies their particular appeals as expressions of the longings and fears and hopes and prejudices of northern Jacksonian working class. Thus, blackface performance was not simply an entertainment for poor whites, but as a form of cultural and political expression. Using blackface, white working class um, reproduced and revitalized a set of class values, which ultimately mollified class insecurities by enacting feelings of racial superiority. Heterogeneous audiences of ethnic Germans, Italians, Irish immigrants constructed, and unified, constructed a unified class front through their shared anxieties. Their dual fears of the elite and black created a space for white working class cultural identity. So the minstrel show became this site where white working class politic was created and maintained. In taking on the cultural markings of the black slave, the white working class performers and audiences found the power to subvert bourgeois society. The minstrel show featured a particular, a partly cultural and partly political era defiance towards authorities, snobs, and condescending moralists. First, it was as, used as a way of subverting the aristocratic gaze. By putting on the black mask, young white working class could avoid being looked on and looked down on by the bourgeois society. But it was also an explicit way that the minstrel show shirked middle-class cultural norms. Through the antebellum period, etiquette became a dictating force in middle-class society. The genteel performance of 19th century society required effortless restraining of feeling and body. The minstrel show, though, bucked against these rigid norms and instead showcased vulgarity. Through ill-fitting costumes, comedy, and ecstatic dancing, blackface performers were anything but restrained. Minstrelsy historian Eric Lott claims that the minstrel show's display of spectators' bodily activity had the effect of securing rowdy class meetings and signification in a context where pressed, which pressed for their absence. So in this very restrictive, very restrained society, we see the minstrel show as the site where the body could be ecstatic, could move, could gesticulate in whatever form it wanted while still maintaining a white working class position. So even as the hegemonic sort of dominant middle class worked to curb such lewd behavior, these displays continued as a means of working class self-identification. Polite white culture scorned these attitudes, which only gave the minstrel show greater staying power among its working class audience. This sense of rebellion is exactly the sentiment that Cruz is attempting to capture in these posters, as he knows it will speak to his voter base. As a senator, Cruz made a name for himself as an enemy of many Washingtonian elites and members of the establishment. He has opposed policies backed by his Republican colleagues while also spearheading movements viewed as dangerous by his party as a whole, such as the 2013 government shutdown. Though the Republican establishment has ostracized him for such behavior, his supporters applaud it. 
Molly Ball of The Atlantic observed that they cheer his willingness to upset the apple cart and his refusal to stand on ceremony when it comes to pursuing conservative goals. So at this point in the campaign, too, Donald Trump was gaining on Cruz with the Make America Great Again slogan. And so Cruz must have seen uh, Trump's affiliation with sort of outsider voters or voters who saw him as an outsider and also wanted to bring in those voters, wanted to make them part of his own voter base. By juxtaposing straight out of Congress poster with a movie poster for the 2015 NWA biopic, which had come out earlier in the year, we can see that Cruz wants to co-opt meaning from the film and thus rap. According to hip-hop historian Trisha Rose, oppressed people use language, dance, and music to mock those in power, express rage, and produce fantasies of subversion, which produce a communal basis of knowledge about social communities or social conditions, communal interpretations of them, and quite often serve as a cultural glue that fosters communal resistance. And much of this rage is directed at institutions like the police, the government, dominant media apparatuses. What is subtext becomes text when NWA chants, fuck the police. By replacing the bodies of NWA with Ted Cruz, Sabo links Cruz to the history of hip-hop and the affect associated with it. This emphasizes in the text just below, which says, a story of the establishment's most feared conservative. A Cruz essentially wants to assert, fuck the elites. Um, blacklisted and loving it, we'll go back, plays on bodily transgression and minstrelsy an aura of illicit sexuality hung over the minstrel show. Eric Lott, the historian of blackface minstrelsy, asserts, the spirit of the show, the minstrel show, depended at the very least on the suggestion of black sexual misdemeanor. White viewers took guilty pleasure in such eroticism, while also using the licentiousness of that black body to clinch their own popular racist feeling. In the poster, Cruz's counterfeit body does similar work, it allows the viewer to perceive masculine power through his muscled and ink body. The hyper-muscular <laughs> uh, hyper body implies latent physical power and action, while the tattoos imbue the body with a non-normativity that give him an aesthetic outside of the mainstream. So again, pushing against mainstream society. But the viewer is also aware that this is not really his body, or at least I think we're all pretty aware that this is not really his body, right? If he actually has those tattoos, I give it to him. A girl can dream. Uh, <laughs> so we know it's not his body. This body is a counterfeit, similar to the sort of blackface body that minstrel performers would put on and take off. So viewers can engage in this sexual misdemeanor, which I hope we're all doing right now, <laughs> while asserting a white moral authority. By still saying, we don't engage in that sort of sexual licentiousness. That's what black people do. Minstrelsy also articulated a sort of nostalgia for the pre-industrial past. As northern U.S. cities industrialized, urban workers were confined to wage labor. The minstrel stage both held out the possibility that whites could be black for a while and nonetheless white, so that you could participate in both agrarian, pastoral labor, while also partaking in the industrial, the modern. It offered the possibilities that they could survive amidst industrial discipline. Thus, to black up was an act of wilderness, and we've seen this throughout history, the um, putting on sort of a colored body to rebel, such as in the Boston Tea Party, where people put on Indian makeup, dressed up as Native Americans. But now, it's imbued with this longing for a rural past. But this longing is always contradictory, as the minstrel show would go on blackface peons to pastoral life, but then would be interrupted with shouts and woos resembling train cries, or 
some sort of rant about Western expansion, would often take part as part of the minstrel show. So those who yearn for the past also yearn for modernism, which could not occur simultaneously. So this desire for the past and future existed in tension. A return to the past was always illusory. Nostalgia was thus always sort of abstract. But this is still what Cruz wants to call for, right? At this point in the campaign, again, Trump is beating him. But despite the Winston Churchill tattoo on his bicep, there's not much of a call for nostalgia here. But if we allow, or if we think about this as containing the feelings of blackface minstrelsy, that sort of nostalgia, that desire to go to a rugged wilderness becomes part of his muscularized, sort of rebellious body. And despite the racist implications of the minstrel show, though, it did continue to or it did contribute to the presentation of the black body, even if it was a counterfeit. Although this type of black representation had clear limits, as minstrel acts immediately secured blackness a public hearing, where public, sometimes bigoted opinions of the black body were voiced. White class historian Rodiger asserts, the simple physical disguise of blacking up served to emphasize that those on stage were really white, and that whiteness really mattered. The physical disguise, even as it concealed white skin, underscored white identity to the audience. Ultimately, this minstrel mask enabled viewers to see and performers to show in one figure the connections between working class whites and disdained blacks. Thus, while it encouraged identification, it also encouraged racial differentiation. So by putting on the black mask, you draw a sort of differentiation between what is black, what is white, simultaneously. Where in the minstrel show, race is sort of obvious. Um, It's on the surface. However, with these posters, Without the black body present, viewers need not reckon with racial difference in the same way. Instead, the racial implications of the images impregnated with both the desire and disgust of blackface minstrelsy remain latent. James Baldwin asserted that without an acceptance and acknowledgement of racial difference, the white viewer cannot perceive of the racial unevenness of past or present and thus can never conceive of a racially just future. However, the explicit racial discourse that emerged throughout the course of the 2016 election has made visible such racial divides. Now that the subtext has become text, there is the potential for an honest racial confrontation and possible equality.